שלום עליכם, ערב טוב. in honor of the Rifuash Leman, the success of some of our friends, as will be posted in the YouTube video. Tonight's Yul is going to begin the first part of an installment of many series inside of our Mishnah Torah series on the life of Rabbi Eliezer Agadon, otherwise known as Rabbi Eliezer ben Hulkenos, or Hulkenos, Different ways to say that word. Definitely not Hurkanis. Rabbi Eliezer is probably safe to say the most primary disciple. Most primary? The primary disciple of Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai. As the Rambam tells us in Yerushalayi Torah, Chamisha Talmidim hayu lo Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai. There were five students of Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai. Vehem gidolei hachachamim shekibru mimenu. And they're the greatest of the Chachamim who received oral transmission from him. Ve'eluhem, and these are their names. Rabbi Eliezer Hagadon. Otherwise, like I told you, Rabbi Eliezer ben Hukanos. Ve'Rabbi Yoshua. Ve'Rabbi Yosea Kohen. Ve'Rabbi Shimon ben Netanel. Ve'Rabbi Elazar ben Arach. These five students of Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai are going to be the topic of our discussion for the next couple of weeks, but first and foremost, Rabbi Eliezer ben Hukanos. If you recall, the Mishnah in Masechet Avot tells us, if you want to find this on your own, it's in the second chapter of Masechet Avot, and the numbers are different depending on which edition of Avot you have. There were five students of Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai. We say about them, let me pull up my Avot on Sepharia. We say about them, He would count their character traits. Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokonos, Rabbi Eliezer, the son of Hokonos, Bo Sud, or Bo Seed, or Bo Said. There's a few different gears out here, each one of them means something slightly different. He's a plastered sister in a well. Why do you put plaster in a well? So water doesn't leak. He is a plastered well. Who does not lose even a drop of water. Rabbi Yoshua ben Hananiah. About him we say, Ashrei Yoladato. Praiseworthy is she who bore him, who gave birth to him. Rabbi Yosea Kohen. Rabbi Yosea the Kohen. Chasid. He was a pious man. Rabbi Shimon ben Netanel. Rabbi Shimon ben Netanel. Yerechet was a fear of sin. Rabbi Lazar ben Arach, Ma'ayan ha-mitgaber. Rabbi Lazar ben Arach is the wellspring that is gathering force over, it gets greater and greater. Hu haya omer, he used to say, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai, im yu kol chachmei Yisrael bekhaf moznaim, if all of the chachamim of the Jewish people were in a scale that has two sides. V'liezer ben Hokonos bekhaf shaniya, and Rabbi Yezer ben Hokonos is on the other side. Machriyat kulam, he would outweigh them all. 
this praise that you find from Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai to his student, Rabbi Eliezer, is not something simple. When he calls his student a chassid, he calls his student a yerechet. These are major terms coming from a major personality in the Jewish world that we've spent the last few weeks studying. <coughs> and so tonight, B'zat Hashem, I wish to explore more of this Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokonus, this well <coughs> who does not lose even a drop. And so, I ask that you open up the PDF that I attached to tonight's Zoom invitation in the Google Classroom. It should be from the encyclopedia <coughs> of... It's in the Zoom Classroom. You want to look for the one that's titled Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokonos. So... If you open up that PDF, you will find, let me make some order for my books, we will find that we are on page 91 or 92 really of that PDF. So it should be page 3 in the PDF numbers, but 92 if you're looking at the numbers inside of the book. Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokonos. This year will be made up of at least three parts, the first of which we'll do tonight. Tana b'dor Hashani. Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokonos was a Tana in the second generation. Who? Rabbi Eliezer Stam. Whenever you see the name Rabbi Eliezer written alone without any other word, that's him. I mean, there are obviously other Rabbi Eliezer, but he is the Rabbi Eliezer. Harishon ben Talmidei Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai. He was the first of the students of Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai, v'achashuv b'nehem, and he was the greatest among them. Rabbo dimau leborsid sheno me'abetipa. His rabbi compared him to a cistern that's plastered that doesn't lose a drop. V'amar alav, and he says about him, we just did this in Avot, chapter 2. The life of Rabbi Eliezer ben Hukunus, the young boy, is given to a few different variations found throughout rabbinic literature. According to a minority of sources, Rabbi Eliezer was actually very famous and very excelled greatly in his Torah studies as a young boy. Until at a young age they really knew about him that he was destined for greatness. Though, that's not really the way most of Chachamei Israel understood, though that is what's found in the Yerushalmi, Masechet Megillah, and in Bereshit Rabbah. Skip halfway down that paragraph. Achrova Mekorot. Most of the Mikorot, most of the sources, Muslim, they tell us that the life of Rabbi Eliezer, at least the beginning of it, has bears many much semblance to the life of Rabbi Akiva. Sheam Haaretz at Gilgavoa, who was an ignoramus until an older age, and he, Rabbi Eliezer Ben Hukonus, worked in the fields with his brothers in his father's fields with his brothers. 
Instead of reading to you the story as it is paraphrased here, I wish to read to you two different variations of the story of the life of Obiyadeza ben Hukunus. And we'll see what messages we can take out of them. They're definitely different. And it's normal that in rabbinic literature you'll find two variations of the same story. Three, sometimes four, sometimes. Nonetheless, the ideas in the story are trying to teach us many of the same points. I mentioned to you before about this Our Sages series by Rabbi Dr. Ben Ilau, as much as there may be differences between our Ben Midrash and his. Uh, I nonetheless recommend this series very much. And he does an incredible job at elaborating on many of the points that are in the life of Rabbi Leza ben Hukunus. Let's read the first story as it's found in Avot Dirbinatan. Avot Dirbinatan is kind of like Pakeh Avot. Very similar. But it's obviously Pakeh Avot of Dirbinatan. There are two variations. There's Nusach Aleph and Nusach Bet. As I'm reading to you now from Nusach Aleph. What was the beginning of Rabbi Dezer ben Hukunus? He was 22 years old and he had never studied Torah. Once he said, I'll go and study Torah from Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai. His father Hukunus said, I will not let you eat food until you do your job in the field. Stop dreaming so much about going to learn Torah. So he woke up and he did his job. That day was Erev Shabbat. He went and ate a meal by his father-in-law's house. What's the deal with going to his father-in-law's house? Why would he go to his father-in-law's house? Why does the mission? Avot Rabbi care to tell us why, where he went to eat dinner, lunch. Okay, that could be. I don't actually know who the father of Obedez Baruch is. Maybe. Actually, uh, maybe we do. Depends. Yeah? Maybe they, he maybe his father has Torah, he could teach him. Okay. Your parents say, I won't feed you unless you do your job. What does that do to the relationship between you and your parents? It strains it. It's even willing to force you to your wife's parents' house. That's how bad it can get. And so he finds himself in the home of his father-in-law. Yes, some say that that's not what happened. That he didn't taste anything from Erev Shabbat until Motzei Shabbat. <clears throat> they didn't give him to eat. When he was walking on the road, he was so hungry. He saw a stone. He picked it up and he put it inside of his mouth to get some kind of nourishment from it. Some say so that people would think that he's eating. Some say it was the dung from the animals that they, they finish eating, they make on the ground. That's what he was eating. He went and stayed in his room. And he makes his way to Rabban Yochanan Bezakai in Yerushalayim. And a foul odor was coming out of his mouth. You know, the guy doesn't eat, and what he's eating doesn't smell so good. 
and the people around him begin to notice him only because he smells bad. my son, a term of endearment. Did you eat anything today? Shatak. He was silent. Shuva Malo. He asked him again, Did you eat anything today? Shatak. He was silent. Shalach the Kalach He called for the owner of the hotel where he was staying. Amalo. He told him, Klum Sad did Yezar eat anything in your home? Amulo, Amarnu, Shema said Rebiya Yasuid. We thought he was eating by your place. We didn't offer him food by us, we thought he was eating by you. Amar Lehem, Afani Amarti, Shema Tzachema Yasuid. I also thought he was eating in his hotel. You and I were both relying on the other person, and we both almost lost because each one of us was relying on somebody else. In the world, this happens. Instead of taking initiative in the world, people think, ah, I won't do it, somebody else will do it. And this happens in many things in life. It's not dropping the ball, it's relying on other people when there's no reason to rely on other people. And there are some days where I wonder to myself, Shalom Nafshi. Why in the world do I have to do half the things that I do? It just gives me talent. Let somebody else do it. And the only thing that keeps me doing crazy things is because I don't trust anybody else to do it. And so I'm left doing those things. I'm sure you do this all the time. You walk by somebody, ah, somebody else will get it. Nobody else gets it. You're married. Ah, I'll put the dish in the sink. Somebody else will wash it. That somebody else doesn't exist. That somebody else three days later still didn't show up. And that somebody else says, oh, you should do it. And then what happens? It doesn't make a difference. What happens? Your house smells because the dishes are in the sink. You can't rely on other people to do the right thing. You always have to step up to the plate and do it. If I didn't ask, both of us would have caused Rebbe to die. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zagai turns to Eliezer and he tells him, just like this bad smell came out of your mouth, I bless you that the smell of Torah should come out of your mouth. So let's understand this story. Rabbi Eliezer belongs to a family of agricultural workers. People, seemingly simple people, not poor people, but not from the intellectual elite of Yerushalayim. Yes, to leave the fields of, of outside Yerushalayim must be, if I'm imagining, maybe in the valley beneath you, if you drive from Yerushalayim towards Tel Aviv, towards the airport, you pass fields. Probably, if I, I, mean, I don't know, somebody may have done some archaeological research, but probably that's where Rabbi Le'ezel's family lives. And he decides to leave his life and to go study Torah, even though his family is not really happy with him. Could be. It could be. I don't know where Rebbe is from. And he finds himself in Yerushalayim, Barabani Yochanan ben Zakai. And he's so hungry that he's eating, let's say, rocks and dirt that he finds outside. Until Rabbani Yochanan ben Zakai notices him and gives him a berakha. This version of the story is the famous version of the story. Many of us have heard this in different places. And this version of the story shows a few different lessons, but mostly... Started his life as a regular person and only at the age of 22 found himself inside of the Bet Midrash. It continues the text and says, Shama alav avit. father starts to hear rumors. Where did his son disappear to? He knows where his son went. What happened to his son? 
שהיה לומד תורה אצל רבן יוחנן בן זכאי. He heard that he went to learn Torah from Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai. Amar elech v'adir eliezer benim l'chasai. So what am I going to do? Now that my son didn't listen to me, my son left the family business, I'll show him who's boss. Just like I told him he wasn't going to eat because tough love is the way to do things, I'm also going to tell him that he no longer is considered a son to me. To me he's dead. And I don't need to support him anymore. And therefore I'm going to write him out of my will that if I die, all of my money will go to his brothers but not to him. Version number one of the story. Let's read version number two, as it's found in the Midrash Tanchuman, Parashat Lech Lecha. The Midrash starts similar, but it says the following. Hayu echav shel Rabbi Eliezer omrim l'aviyem, the brothers of Rabbi Eliezer told their father, Re Eliezer bincha ma'asa, look at what your son Eliezer did to you. Hinichacha, he left you alone, abandoned you, v'halach lo l'Yerushalayim, and he went to go have a good life in Yerushalayim. What's he doing over there? Ochel. The song of the Piyut on Shabbat says, He eats fetumot, he eats animals, uh, stuffed chickens he eats. He's living a good life. Look at you, you care so much about your son. If you drop dead, dad, all he would want is your money. He doesn't care to help you in your business. He doesn't care to be here and live next to you in your old age. All he wants is your money. So he's waiting over there, enjoying life in Yerushalayim. And the moment you die, he'll collect his money. We gave our soul to live next to you. We sacrificed everything to be your children. We didn't abandon you. Look, he doesn't even care to visit you. The story already is a much more personal story. These are probably things we can relate to in every family. And now what's going to happen after all these years of abandoning you, your son Eliezer is going to show up over here and demand that he inherits, get his inheritance just like we do. In that moment the father Hukunus tells them, He's going to get nothing from me. They told him, Amar, well, you're going to wait until you die to throw him away. Amar lehem karuli lapinkas. Go, bring me a writing pad or bring me. Amulo, en mo'il kluom, it won't help you to write down a will. Yesh b'Yerushalayim nasi echad. There's one prince over there in Jerusalem. Ushmo Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai, and his name is Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai. Umesayahoto, and he, he's enabling Eliezer ben Hokanos. This Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai is... Not a great person, says the brother, say the brothers of Rabbi Eliezer. And when you die, for sure he's going to show up. Who said that his father wrote him out of his will? We'll take out this writing. And he says, it's amazing what the word for forgery is in Hebrew, for a counterfeit. It's a pilastin. Like Megillat Plaster, if you've seen that word before, that word in its root means deceit. It's a, it's a forged, deceit, counterfeit thing. He'll say, this is a fake will. You are the ones who fabricated this. I don't believe in it. We'll come to the Bedin. Says, you know, Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai is enabling my son. I'm going to go over there to his Betadin and write my son out of my will so that he can know. 
באותה שעה, that moment, הרכיבוהו בניו בסטרנה. His brothers take him on a, they, the, the brothers, the sons, they take him on a wagon, ונכנס לירושלים בערב שבת, and he enters Yerushalayim carried by them on Erev Shabbat. In this story, it's a lot more personal than just a son who leaves and a father says, I don't want to write him in my will. Here it's brothers that are making a story up about Rabbi Eliezer. Look at him, he's eating fattened foods, he's enjoying himself in Yerushalayim. He's going to come here and collect at the end. And don't just write him off in your will. Go there to Yerushalayim, poke his eye out. And Erev Shabbat, he enters Yerushalayim. Obviously, to get ready to meet the Betadin, maybe after Shabbat or Friday morning. He's carried by his kids. Carried by his kids. Now the meeting between Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai, Hukunus, and the brother Rabbi Eliezer. Amud, they say, in the first edition of Avod Rabbi Natan, Oto Hayom, that same day, Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai Yoshev Vedoresh Birushalayim. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai was teaching a shiur in Yerushalayim. Vechol Gedolei Yisrael Yoshevin Lefanav. And all of the great ones of the Jewish people were there in front of him. Shama Alav Shaba. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai heard that Hurkanus is coming. Hoshiv lo Shomrin. And he put guards. And Amar lehem and he says, Im Baleshev, al Tanichuhu. If he comes to sit down, don't let him sit. Baleshev, he comes to sit among the students. They didn't let him sit. He was trying to find a place from place to place, place to place, and they didn't let him sit. I was once invited to a wedding of a Hasidic Rebbe that I'm very close to. And by the chuppah, I was with the Rebbe's family and his children and his grandchildren. and you know, I, was, uh, with, I was in with the group. All of a sudden, the chuppah is over. I don't understand Yiddish at all. I wouldn't say very well, but at all. And there clearly was, you know, royal family exits out of the side door, and I'm stuck over there in the hall with the rest of the peasants. So I find myself, I'm joking about that. I find myself in this huge hall, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And so I come to look for, I don't know anybody here. I come to look for a place to sit. Here I am. I'm dressed just like I am right now. Maybe not a pink tie, but it was a suit and a tie, and I don't think I was wearing a hat. And I, uh, I came to a table, and I said, I was going to ask, like, can I sit here? I did raise my hand. Can I sit here? And some guy, while he's talking to his friend, hands me a platter, an empty platter, and he says, more fish. And I, I'm, I'm holding this platter, and I'm looking at him like, I don't understand. He says, you don't understand? I said, what do I understand? And he's looking at me like, he thinks I'm a waiter. He, I see a guy with a suit and a tie. I'm not wearing a strimal. I'm not wearing a white socks. I'm not, I came to the table and he hands me this platter. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not a waiter. I guess I wasn't going to sit at that table. So I just looked around and I, I lean on the back wall. I'll wait till I know somebody. I recognize somebody. So I'm leaning on the back wall. And some guy comes over to me and he says, ask me questions about the kashrut of the chicken, which chita, which And I'm like, what do you think I am? He tells me, well, you're not the mashgiach. I said, no, I'm not the mashgiach. See, everybody knew that I didn't belong there. Just nobody knew what exactly I was doing over there. Meanwhile, my wife calls me and says, it's so amazing, that's such good food over here. And I'm like, well, I'm going to eat whenever you're ready. I'm ready to leave. There's nothing, nothing for me over here at this wedding. It was one of those places. He felt out of place. And this was the purpose. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai was playing offense. He wasn't going to wait to be confronted by Hukunus. He was going to start owning the show as soon as Hukunus came in. Don't let him have a seat. Until he came to the Ben Tzitit HaKesed, and he came to the Ben Kalba Savua. 
he finally makes it to the front row where the, if you remember these names, these are the rabbi, the rabbis, they're the wealthy men who are around Masechet Gitin. Look in the fifth chapter there. When Yerushalayim is being destroyed. This is the father-in-law of Rabbi. Rachel, the father of Rabbi Akiva's wife, Rachel. These are the wealthy men of Yerushalayim. Here's a simple farmer. He comes to the Bedin, but as he enters, he realizes there's a big class going on. Then trying to sit in the back. Instead, they keep pushing him, pushing him, pushing him to the front of the room. Finally, he finds himself in the front row, right in front of the rabbi, sitting with the wealthiest men of the Jewish people at the time. They say that one of these men could have supported the whole Jewish people in Yerushalayim for two and a half years under Roman siege. These guys were not just regularly wealthy. They were over-the-top wealthy. He was sitting among them and he was trembling because he wasn't used to this. He was sitting with a port of people right in front of the rabbis. It was very, very intimidating for him. On that day, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai looked at Rabbi Eliezer and he tells him, Open up your mouth and teach us a derasha. Say it about Torah. I can't say anything. He pressured him. And the students also started pressuring him. He got up and he spoke and he said, words of Torah that nobody's ears had ever heard in the world. Meaning, incredibly novel insight into Torah. Real things. Do you know what the hesitancy of Rabbi Eliezer was to speak at this point? There's a machloket, but the uh, shita I want to go with. It's intimidation of his father. Maybe he's afraid of his father. It could be. So he wasn't asked to rule a halakha, but it could be. He's not, it's close to this one. Not to teach halakha in front of your rabbi. He, he wasn't ruling halakha in front of your rabbi, but there was something else Rabbi Eliezer says. If you look at Masechet Sukkah, you can open up your remote. Safaria, go to Talmud, the second section, Seder Moed, click on Sukkah, go to page 28b. Let me see if I could find it in Safaria for you to tell you which subcategory to look at. There we now, 28B. Actually, 28A, Mechila, I guess. 28A. Yeah, very good. Look here. Twenty-eight. Now I'm switched on you. Look at twenty-eight A, section four. When did we recently study this together? Guys, someone tell me when we studied this together. It does sound familiar. 
We learned this together. What day is it today? Monday. We learned it together on Thursday, guys. Okay. <laughs> Let's keep doing this, okay? Uh, one day we'll remember things. Come. And the person never entered the Bet Midrash before him. He never slept in the Bet Midrash, not regular sleep, nor temporary sleep, not light sleep. Remember the Ramchal was giving us examples of what is a Hasid. And he never thought about Torah in dirty places. Rabbi Zakai never left a person in the Bet Midrash and left him there. Nobody ever found him just sitting around doing nothing. They always saw him sitting and learning. Now, Rabbi's word for learning, shone, is also the same word as reviewing. You can't expect to come to Shio once and remember something. Unless you review it and you review it and you review it and you review it. That's what makes Chachamim Chachamim. I had a rabbi once used to tell us, Rabbi Tanner, Shalom, said, a rabbi is reviewed, and that's why they became rabbis. If the constantly be on your toes and review what you learn. is an avera to forget something that you learn. tell us a person should never be asked a question on something they learned and not remember the answer. It's very important to not once you learn something to not forget it. Nobody ever opened the door for his students. Only he opened the door for his students. It's a sign of respect. This is something today that's becoming less and less popular to do for people. Today you might even get in trouble for opening the door for somebody. They'll tell you, what, you think I can't open my own door? Nobody opens a door for you because they think you can't open a door. Unless you really can't open a door. But if, if someone's opening a door, it's a sign of respect. To open a door for Tamil Khan, if you ever were around Tamil Khan, when they walk, everyone opens a door for them. They move that. That's how it is. Velomet... And he never said anything that he never heard from his rabbi in his life. And he never said, guys, it's time to end the shiur. It's time to leave the Bet Midrash. Except for the eve of Pesach and the eve of Yom Kippur. Why? Yeah, there's things you have to do in those days. What can you do? And this is exactly the way in which Rabbi Eliezer, his student, acted, emulating his rabbi, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. What did you see here that precludes Rabbi Eliezer from sharing words of Torah in front of his rabbi? Yes. Very good. His rabbi says, Eliezer, tell us the chidush. And he's telling him, I can't. I don't say things I didn't hear from my rabbi. And what does his rabbi do? He said, do it. So what do you do then? I guess in that case, your rabbi is telling you something. <laughs> so you do it, yes? But this here, it seems to be, at least in this way of reading this sugya, there are other ways. Is that Rabbi Eliezer's hesitancy to speak is not because of his father, but it's because of his rabbi. He does not teach novel things in front of his rabbi. I did speak about it in the UK. Uh, we spoke about even... There's always going to be a... In the Bet Midrash, there's going to be a struggle between what you might call traditionalists and those who are a little more creative in their interpretation of things. And there's a place for both of those forces in the Bet Midrash. This might very much remind you of Hillel and Shammai. Hillel's camp, which seems to be, by the way, Rabbi Eliezer 
Ben Hukunus comes from Bani Chalman Zakai, who comes from, he's from the camp of Hillel. Nonetheless, it seems that Hillel and Shammai, the difference between them is which one is more conservative than the other in terms of their interpretation in Torah. And there is definitely a way to read the life of Rabbi Leza ben Hukunus as both the pros and cons of a traditional reading of Jewish texts. Let's keep going together. I'm aware of what time it is, but I can't leave you off right here. So he, yes. I have a book that says he comes from the, from, that he was more leaning towards Shammai. Shammai. Yeah, the reason for that is Chachamim call him a Shumti. I think that's the word they use, which could mean that he comes from the camp of Shammai. But not because he actually comes from the camp of Shammai, but because his ideology is very similar to that. Though I much prefer to understand that word in the Gemara, that he was excommunicated, as we're going to see later on. But if you can send me a picture of that book that you're looking at, or the text from there, I would like to see it. Yeah, he has a, he has a quote um, that they used to say about prayer. It's really, really amazing. About praying without kavanah? No, he says that whoever prays at a well at well-defined times and according to a determined form, he used to say his prayer is only a habit and does not derive from the heart. Exactly. That's a tefillah with kavanah, meaning a person whose prayer becomes very regular, their tefillah no longer is a tefillah of kavanah. If you want, and you want a bonus for you at the end, I can go with you through some of the maybe 10 or 12 teachings of Rabbi Yezah that are very sharp. They're very, very sharp about people who don't live up to his expectations of what a Jewish person is supposed to do. Again, Uziel uh, Vadiyah, that's exactly the reason why some people place him spiritually in the camp of Shammai. He reminds us much of that personality. Not everyone agrees, but he reminds us of that personality, though his lineage is actually not from there. Let's read a little more. So he says he's not able. He's not able to be Doresh. So what happens? What happens to him? Everything that came out of his mouth. Every time Yoshua would stand up out of his chair and kiss him on his head. And he said, My rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer, You taught me truth. There seems to be some kind of reassurance. The things that you're saying are truthful. You're teaching me new things, but they're truthful. Don't be afraid that they're too creative and therefore they're not true. I had the honor of learning by a very unique Tamikhan in the Ashkenazi Jewish community. And his shiurim on Gemara were some of the more fascinating shiurim that I ever studied in my life. Though if I were to bring Harav Peretz to those shiurim, he would probably walk out 45 seconds into the shiur. Because absolutely nothing that was said in those shiurim were true. They were brilliant, but none of them were true. And I don't know how to explain to you that other than that's the methodology of pilpul. Pilpul is the, as far as used to call it, bilbul. It's confusion. But pilpul is a, is a certain method of limut Torah in which you could pretty much say anything you want and justify what you're saying. In fact, that was one of the tests. How do you know someone's a tamir chacham? It has 150 ways to prove halachically that an insect is kasher. Logic is something that is easily manipulated in the world of our rabbis. Until it became time to leave, 
Hulkunus stands up in front of the whole audience. But you think Hulkunus really understands the Divrei Torah here? He's a farmer. What does he understand here? The rabbi is giving his son honor. He understands the language of honor. I highly doubt he understood anything that Rabbi Eliezer's son was doresh. The Rabbi says, Gentlemen, I came here today to write my son out of my inheritance, to throw him out of my family. Now, all of my possessions should be given to Eliezer, my son. And all of his brothers, they don't get anything from me. All of it goes to be Eliezer, my son. <laughs> now, there's a parallel to the story. But it's going to require me. I have another question before we yeah. Is usually when we say so and so and so and so, it means the father is a notable character. Is there anywhere else besides here in Pirkei Avot where it says Ben Hokanos? No, like Chachamim are calling him Rabbi Eliezer Hagadol. And seemingly the reason they mention Hurkonos is just to show you night and day. For example, yeah. we sometimes call him Rabbi Akiva ben Yosef. But Yosef couldn't have been such an Amharitz. Why? <coughs> Why couldn't Rabbi Akiva's father, Akiva ben Yosef? We rarely call him Rabbi Akiva ben Yosef, but in Sephardic Sidichot, for example, and Yom Kippurim, they call him Akiva ben Yosef. Who was Yosef? It's a shield from two weeks from now. Who, who was he? His father. Yes, who was his father? Very good. His father converted to Judaism, at least according to the reading of the Talmud of Rabbi Nisim. And as such, you know, assuming he went through a, a chief rabbinate approved Giyu, he must have learned something in order to become Jewish, right? So, in that case, I, <laughs> in that case, I can't imagine, I can't imagine that uh, he didn't know anything. But his son, not the first time you found somebody who knew Torah and his son is an Amaretz. In fact, it's not the first time you find somebody who in their own free will joins Am Yisrael or becomes a person who connects, reconnects himself to the Jewish people and their children don't follow in those footsteps. Sometimes even in spite. There's much to be unpacked when we get to the personality that is Rabbi Akiva. I hate time. What do you mean that I hate time? Up to me, we could sit here and learn the whole day. Rabbi? Yes. Is it, yeah, is it alright if I ask a question about the story about Rabbi Eliezer ben Hurkunus? Yeah, please. So usually the stories present Hurkunus as being a really bad person. Um, but I always kind of wondered, like, what was his point of view in the story? Because I thought it was that. You know, his son, Eliezer, was a person who, he seemed very unmotivated, he seemed lazy, he seemed like he had no direction in life, you know, maybe he was off doing stuff that he shouldn't have been doing, and, you know, disgracing the family, and so on, and that kind of was left out of the story for his, you know, respect, um, and he thought 
it by going off to Yerushalayim, he was just kind of like joining the Kolo just to be a bum, basically. And that he was, you know, kind of getting his way in there as an excuse not to work and not to make anything of himself. But and actually, but he completely misjudged his son in that Eliezer was a person who just took a long time to find himself. Pam, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure you just called... I'm pretty sure you just called hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of yeshiva students bums who are unmotivated and are just sitting in yeshiva because they don't have anything else to do with their life. I'm pretty sure that's what you just did, but thank God I didn't say it, okay? What you can say is absolutely. Hukumus uh, for sure misunderstands the situation here. I don't find him to be so malicious. In fact, that's why the second narrative here is one, it's his, the brothers of Eliezer that are busy trying to rile him up to get him to, to disown his children. And, and yeah, you can say, listen, he left, he abandoned, not all you can, you can blame on. I don't think it's right to say that Eliezer was engaged in anything that was not productive. In fact, the rabbis find him scraping for, for, looking for scraps of Torah while he was still a farmer, trying to get some kind of, he had some kind of spiritual emptiness he was looking to fill. And he knew, like many Jewish people know, that if I go to Yerushalayim and I find the right rabbi, the right, 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 right yeshiva, I'm going to find a place where I can connect. And that's essentially what he does. It doesn't seem that his father doesn't find value in learning Torah. It almost seems like his father doesn't believe that Eliezer is going to even be able to get his act together. To, I mean, if you told me you're going to be a... Th- Look, the moment he sees him being a Tamikacham, he's ready to take him on board. He just didn't believe that his son could be a Tamikacham. And I think this is... You're pointing out a very good point. This is a very good way to read this. I'm looking at the clock and I'm seeing it's probably not the best time to just go to the second reading here of the life of Eliezer ben Hokonos. So what I'm going to do is tell you that this story doesn't end here. There's a different version of how exactly it went down that Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokonos decides to what is it, in Amshanav they keep Shabbat till Tuesday so if Kola lasts till Thursday we'll... <laughs> let's take a few more I want to read you one more I don't want to leave you hanging in here a little more there's a different reading here and you find this in Avot Rabinatan in the second Nosar it tells the following story Hukunus is there, sitting among the great ones of Jerusalem. And Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai says, Eliezer, emor lanu devar echad medivrei Torah. Tell us something from the Torah. Amar lo, he tells him, Emshon lechal amashal leman idome. Says, Rabbi, let me teach you a parable about what I'm similar to. Labor hazeh. You see this well over here? This well is not able to give any more water than was poured into it in the first place. Your water bottle doesn't give you water. It's how much water is in the water bottle that you can take from. Amarlo, meaning what's he telling him? What's the sentence? Rabbi, why are you asking me to say it? There's nothing that I know that you don't know. His rabbi says, let me explain to you the parable to what you're compared to. You see this, uh, this well. It's a natural spring that's giving water on its own. Believe in yourself. You have the power to share Chidushay Torah more than what Moshe Rabbeinu got on Har Sinai. Amarlo, Bet, Vegimel, Pamim, Veloki, Ben Arav. 
and he tried telling this to Rabbi Eliezer two or three times, Rabbi Eliezer is steadfast. I don't say anything which I did not hear from my rabbi. And he doesn't want to share. Yetzar Rabbi Yochamed Zakai. So Rabbi Yochamed Zakai gives up, and he leaves this mega event that's happening in Yerushalayim. But Rabbi Yosef Masas has an interesting theory about what exactly was happening. Why was there an event that was going on? Was it a fundraiser that was happening for the yeshiva? Was it planned to get Eliezer ben, uh, to get Hukunus in a big room with a lot of fancy people? Was it a regular parashat? Rabbi Yosef Masas once day was parashat lechnecha. He comes with a pasuk of what was happening there at the same day for you to read in a different time. Rabbi Yosef Masas has about 30 or 40 pages on these stories that Rabbi Yosef ben Hukunus that I just if I had all the time in the world, we would do it, but I don't. So Rabbi Yochanan Bezakai leaves. Why does he leave? Kind of strange to leave your own dinner. It's his shiu. He's like, yeah, speak. Doesn't speak, so he leaves. <laughs> What's going on here? Don't say warm cultures. What happened here? Maybe he assumes he won't speak in front of him, so he's giving him an opportunity. Yatsa v'halachno. He leaves, and immediately Rabbi Eliezer begins teaching things that are greater even than what Moshe heard in Hasinai, which is a fascinating sentence, by the way. What do you mean you're teaching things Moshe Rabbeinu didn't say in Hasinai? Not for right now. And his face was shining like the glow of the sun. And there was beams of light coming out of him like those of Moshe Rabbeinu. Then Adam Yudaim Yom Huvim Laila. Nobody knew anymore if it was day or if it was night. Rabbi Yosef often when he quotes his midrashim, he writes that the rabbis exaggerated greatly when writing these pesukim. Yeah, that, that is, he doesn't mind telling you that. And the other students went to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai, and they said, "Boore, come and see." Rabbi Eliezer Yosef Doresh Dvarim Yoter Mashlemar LaMoshe B'Sinai. Come and listen to Rabbi Eliezer. He's saying amazing things that more than what Moshe Rabbeinu said Sinai. His face is shining like the sun. We don't even know if it's day or night how much brightness there is in that room. These kind of stories, by the way, can only happen in Yerushalayim. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai enters from behind him. Why is it relevant, behind him? There must be something here. He, he doesn't want right. He doesn't want him to close his mouth. He comes from behind him. and he kisses him on his head. Blessed are you, Abraham, Mitzrach, and Yaakov. How lucky are you that this man, Rabbi Eliezer, he is a descendant of yours. This story is really different than the first one. In this story, you also notice why perhaps Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai calls his student Why is he like a well that doesn't lose a drop? Because that's exactly how Rabbi Eliezer is stubborn to identify himself as. He is the one who I just want to receive. I'm not looking to give my own. I want to be a maintainer of tradition. That's who I am. Everything my rabbis told me I will teach, but not a word more than that. It's not because he doesn't have the ability to. He chooses not to. Which is going to be a topic of conversation, not for today, but for tomorrow. Before we end for today. What happened to Hukunus according to this story? 
the father of Rabbi Eliezer says, Who are you saying how amazing it is that Abraham and Yaakov had such a descendant? So your son Eliezer, when he tells the story, he spices it up a little bit. So everybody started laughing at him and telling him, it was your son Eliezer we're praising. What do you think we're praising? Your son Eliezer. Warm culture. Amar lehem, he tells them, you should have said, you shouldn't have said, praise Ruda, you Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, who gave birth to you should have said, praiseworthy am I that he came out of me. Rabotai, this is in the, the Talmud. It's written in Yerushalayim, Israel, Babylonia. You can't ignore the culture of Am Yisrael and where we live and how we talk. But the story doesn't end. The second version of Pekei He was teaching and his father was standing on two feet. He says, Abba, my father, I can't be teaching Divrei Torah sitting here comfortably and you're standing up like this. He doesn't have a seat. Rabbi Yezel stands up and brings his father to sit next to him. You can imagine the reconciliation. Who knows how many years have passed between when he leaves his father's fields until today. I don't know. I don't have clues even to know how many years it has been. But it's clearly enough time. It didn't happen overnight, yes? It's clearly enough time for Rabbi Eliezer to become Rabbi Eliezer, not just Eliezer. He had to learn Hebrew, had to read Hebrew, had to write, had to learn the Torah, had to receive from his Enough to be giving Chidushim greater than Moshe Rabbeinu was a significant amount of time of disconnect between him and his family. He says, Dad, come sit next to me. Come sit with the Chachamim. Amar Lobni, he tells him, my son, I didn't come for this honor. I came here only to write you out of my will. And now that I've come and I've seen and I've observed your success in your Limut Torah, I'm writing out your brothers from the story. And I remember in the second version of the story, it's the brothers who incite him to write this. So it's not just randomly to throw the brothers out. The brothers are the ones who carry them to Yerushalayim. He says, I'm writing them out. He tells him, I will be saved I only want to receive my fair portion I don't want my brothers to lose because of me you see the refinement of Midot between one who spends his life working in a field and one who becomes a Tamid of Abayin Muhammad Zakai. he can get everything but he chooses not to get everything he wants only what's right for him if I would have asked the Kadosh Baruch for gold and silver he would have already given it to me. If I really wanted land, he would have given me land. I only asked HaKadosh Baruch Hu that I should merit the Torah, and that's what he gave me. Dad, don't worry about me. Don't worry about my money. I'm going to be okay. If I want, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will give me. I didn't ask for it. That's why I don't have it. Ibn Yezel stays in the Bed Midrash, and he is the one who emulates the teachings of Abba Muhammad Zakai? I never said a word that I never heard from my rabbis. We're going to talk a lot about that tomorrow.
because that's going to open up a whole can of worms. What does it mean to not have creativity in the Bet Midash? What does it mean to only say things that we heard from before? A famous story that happens to Rabbi Eliezer that literally changes the course of history. And the story that I told you today, as moving as it might be, is nowhere near as infuriating as the one that we're about to study. Because the next story we'll dive into, it's a miserable story. It's a miserable story. It's going to take a lot of pain and a lot of suffering to understand it. And God willing, we'll continue with that already next week. Yes. What happened to his wife and his family? He had a chamid. He had a father-in-law. What happened to them? It's a great question. Rabbi Eliezer is married more than once. According to the first variation of the story, he does, I don't know if he has a, I mean, he does have a father-in-law or he doesn't have a father-in-law. He just fasted for Shabbat. There's two different ways that story goes. Remember those days you used to read those stories on the bottom of the book and said, if you want him to go to the field, read page 93. If you want him to go to... So depending how you read Avodah uh, Binatan, what if there's a name for those books? I remember what they're called. Like, write your own ending stories. Choose your own story. Yeah. So depending how you read these Midrashim is depending... Who said he even had a wife? If he had a wife, it's a good question. What happened to him? What happened to her? Did he leave her? Likely not. But why is he then getting married soon to Ima Shalom, the sister of Aban Gamliel, of Yavne? which is a huge political connection that clearly he wasn't ready for when he was still a farmer in the fields of his father. So he didn't because he got married again a second time later because he didn't have a wife. And he gets married to his niece who he didn't want to marry. She wanted to marry him. He wanted her to marry somebody younger who could take care of her and have children with her. And that's an interesting story that we're going to get to later on in the life of Rabbi Yezah. For right now, I'm going to leave you off with these stories. Any questions or comments, I'm here.